we can help so many people and so many of us don't even realize the platforms we have to do that. I quote my mother-in-law a lot because she's a teacher and teachers have the best things. And she's always telling me that someone's always watching. For whatever reason, people are watching and paying attention. So even if you don't think you're actively going out there to be an example to someone, if you have a social media page, there's someone watching and paying attention to something that you're doing. So I take that very seriously. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. What if you could hang out with successful women lawyers, ask them about growing their firms, managing resources like time, team, and systems, mastering money issues, and more. Then take an insight or two to help you build a wealth-generating law firm. Each week, your host, Davina Frederick, takes an in-depth look at how to think like a CEO, attract clients who you love to serve and will pay you on time, and create a profitable, sustainable firm you love. Davina is founder and CEO of Wealthy Woman Lawyer, and her goal is to give you the information you need to scale your law firm business from six to seven figures in gross annual revenue, so you can fully fund and still have time to enjoy the lifestyle of your dreams. Now, here's Davina. Hi, this is Davina, and before we jump into today's show, I'd like first to introduce you to some of our sponsors. When prospective clients are looking for an attorney, they usually turn to Google first. Optimize My Firm helps law firms grow their practices and attract more right-fit clients through on-page and back-end search engine optimization. Optimize My Firm can help your firm rank higher on Google so that clients can find you before they find your competition. They serve personal injury, family law, workers' comp, immigration, and other types of law firms. Optimize My Firm does SEO the right way, delivering meaningful results with geographic exclusivity and no contracts. Contact them today at optimizemyfirm.com or click the link in the show notes. Tremaine Hemmons is a Jamaican-born, Florida-licensed immigration lawyer. She is the managing attorney and CEO of the Hemmons Law Group, PA, based in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and is eligible to practice U.S. immigration law in all 50 states in the U.S. Her personal experience with the United States immigration system sparked her passion for immigration law. Before law school, she entered the United States as an international student and attended Broward College, first obtaining her Associate of Arts in pre-law with the highest honors and then her Associate of Science in paralegal studies with high honors. She then worked as a paralegal for five years and simultaneously obtained her bachelor's degree in legal assisting summa cum laude from the Nova Southeastern University before graduating in 2019 from Florida International University with a Juris Doctor. Ms. Hemmons has been featured in several publications and television programs discussing her passion and advocacy in immigration and personal injury law, such as the Daily Business Review, Miami Herald, Jamaican Observer, Television Jamaica, and CVM Television. Tremaine's passion lies in advocating for the rights of immigrants and clients seeking justice and their American dream, just as she had when she entered the United States. She specializes in car accident and slip and fall personal injury cases and family-based visa and removal defense cases, and immigrants who have fallen victim to domestic violence and crimes in immigration law. Hi, Tremaine, and welcome. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you today. Hi, I'm so excited to be invited to speak on your awesome podcast. I've listened to a lot of episodes. Good, good, good. 
from your follower on Instagram. I love to look at your Instagram content. So I thought it would be great for people to hear your story because, you know, your story is so interesting. So why don't we start out by just telling us a little bit about you, your law firm, and the type of clients that you serve, their practice areas and that kind of thing. Sure, of course. So I'm primarily an immigration attorney. I practice family-based and removal defense immigration law in all 50 states and around the world. So um, that's super exciting. I get to go all over the U.S. representing my clients, even though my main customer base are, of course, my Jamaicans, because when you're in immigration law, people tend to gravitate towards people of their own culture because, you know, you feel that kinship, especially because I'm an immigrant myself. So they connect with that. But I've been very grateful to represent people from Ukraine, Venezuela, Central America, all over the world. So it's an exciting job and I love it. <laughs> wow. Wonderful. So did you go to law school with the intention of starting your own business right out of law school? I had no intention of starting my own firm. I was a giant book nerd in law school. I worked for the federal government all three years of law school. I worked with ICE, learning immigration from that side and also from the private immigration side. So I was fully happy to go sit in somebody's back office in a cubicle writing legal briefs and doing legal research. <laughs> I'm an immigration nerd. So that's what I wanted to do. But the pandemic kind of switched my trajectory because I found that employers were getting a little bit restrictive on their employees. And I think because I went to law school as an older student, I always saw law school itself as a business. Like I'm paying you to teach me stuff and my license, I can go and open my own firm tomorrow. So I don't have to take crap from anyone. Excuse me. Right. I, I love that. You, <laughs> <laughs> That's I great. Say decided. whatever you want on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So I just decided, I think I'm just going to go out on my own and see how that goes. I'm a pretty charismatic person. I'm pretty smart. So I was like, let's see how it goes. Good, good. You're definitely very charismatic and smart. So tell us a little bit about what led you. I know you, your personal experience as an immigrant helped foster your interest in it from a legal perspective, but just give us a little bit of your journey because you have a couple of undergrad degrees, not just one. So you obviously love school and studying and learning. So tell us kind of your journey to that to even get to the point where you decided to go to law school. Well, I would love to say that that is why I have so many degrees, but that is not why. <laughs> I was pretty much forced to have to go back to school just to kind of maneuver my credits because when I came here initially, my mom knew I wanted to be an attorney. She was working as a home health care aide and one of her patients, you know, gratefully served as my sponsor to come and study here. I'm the first in my family to go to college. So she was like, I don't know what to do with this kid. So I'll bring you here, see if you can get some scholarships and figure it out, girl. So I got my first pre-law associate's degree. And after that, I realized that because of my status, I was going to have to pause on school for a little bit and figure that part out. And then when it was time to go back to school, I had to figure out how to use the financial aid I was given in the smartest way to get my bachelor's degree. And that required that I go back, get a second associate's, and then go to get my bachelor's. So that's how I ended up with three undergraduate degrees. But I'm grateful. All those experiences really, really helped me a lot, especially running my practice now because I have three undergraduate degrees in legal assisting, pretty much. So I'm very versed at the administrative and the paralegal side of things. So I really think that lends a lot to my business being successful now. So it wasn't because I liked school. To be it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't because you <laughs> love school. I get it. I get it. I have always been envious of people who were paralegals before they went to law school, because you have a baseline knowledge, like the language is familiar to you. And yes. 
and the actual paperwork is familiar to you and all the, that, which makes it easier, I think, to transition to being a lawyer for some people. I mean, there are some people that don't grasp the difference between the mm-hmm. two, right? Because being a lawyer definitely requires you to think differently oh, beyond you're thinking more strategically and that kind of thing. So yeah. what was your experience like in making that transition? I found it helpful, just like you're saying. I mean, they like to tell us that nothing helps you with law school. Like it's a foreign language for everyone. And that's completely true. So I always tell my mentees, especially the ones that are in the legal assisting programs, and they get so cocky, like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be fine. No, ma'am, you're still going to not know what's happening. (laughs) Because learning how to think like a lawyer is very different than learning how to be a lawyer's assistant. You know what I mean? So very much. I learned the nuts and bolts. I will say my legal research class was a breeze because I honestly think, and I'm sure that I went to one of the premier programs in in the state of Florida. I went to Broward College and their program is amazing. And it was under Lynn Herman West when I was there on Dr. Slosberg. And Dr. Slosberg was a real stickler for things. You know what I mean? She was very strict. So we were really pushed to learn more than even what would be considered through a paralegal program. So I really think it did help me a lot, but mm -mm. I still didn't know what was happening when I sat in that first con law class. I was like, what is this? You know, I totally get it because I was had a prior career before I went to law school. I graduated at 42 and with the intention of starting my own firm. And it was Mm -hmm. tough. It was tough. It was tough, tough, much harder than I thought it was going to be. And I think this is true of a lot of high achieving women. Like we have to study all the things. It's not enough to just get by. We have to, (laughs) if you really are, you know, serious about achieving, you really are going all in on it. So Mm -hmm. tell me about, so you went to law school. I saw where you shared a story about getting into a school yeah. And was that law school or was that an undergrad college? Yeah, it was law school. It was law school. So my story of getting into law school is I literally, I fully intended to go to law school, but I literally fell into the school that I went to. I'm not even going to lie to you because I really had no guidance. And that is why I'm so passionate about helping other first generation students find the resources to help them. Because I know I would have done way better if I just had some guidance from somebody else who looked like me, who was going through the same situation, you know? So I went to a very good undergraduate institution. I went to Nova Southeastern University and the demographic of my school was not the the first gen culture. It's, you know, my dad's name is on the building outside and I'm 19 driving a Maserati, true story. (laughs) So yeah, so it's a very (laughs) different kind of place, but there's still a lot of immigrants and stuff there, but it's a very different kind of place. So they had a program that pretty much taught you how to apply to law school because it's what they do. You know, there's a law school there and everything. So they gave us a counselor and I was talking to my counselor about what I should write in my personal statement and everything. And I was super excited about it because I've always known that I have a powerful story and I've always known that what I've been through in my life is why I'm so like passionate and why nothing will stop me from achieving what I want, you know? So of course, that's what I'm going to put in my personal statement. And he told me, he was like, well, everybody has a sob story, you know? And I was like, okay. (laughs) All righty then. (laughs) Right. So gratefully so, I have a mentor from the first time I came into the country. And I always talk about Dr. Patrick Ellingham. 
And I mentioned it to him and he was like, screw that guy. That's literally what he said. It's like, no, write what you want to write. He was my English professor. He was like, you're an amazing writer. Write what you think you want to say and I will go over it. He did four different drafts with me. And that's the story that I submitted. And I always remind my students, like, there will be a lot of people who will tell you that everybody has a sub story and that you're not special because you are a minority or, but you are a hundred percent. Right. You know what I mean? Everything that we've been through and all of our experiences really shape who we become as adults. You know what I mean? You either decide to become a victim of it or you use it to empower yourself to propel you forward. And if you choose the latter, of course, you want to share and celebrate that and let people know that that's why you should hire me. That's why you should let me into your school. And that's why I'm a badass, you know? So sharing that story got me into FIU where I didn't even think I was going to get into because I was waitlisted there. So they called me and told me that it was my personal statement that got me into the school. So that was very bad. Florida, Florida International University. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I think that's an incredible story. And I think there's a lot of lessons in there. One of which is there will be people who will offer their opinions and advice, and it will not always be the best advice for you. Exactly. Right. So it's important to trust yourself on that. And also everybody has a unique story and how we persuade people. It's by the stories that we tell. We do it for our clients in their cases, And oftentimes we don't use those stories for our our own stories to help progress, right? Mm -hmm. If nobody teaches you that and nobody tells you that and nobody says, you know, people want to hear your story. Mm -hmm. I can tell you from doing this podcast, the, I have so many people who feel like they know me because they've heard so much of my story on this. And I've had people when I've met them that go, I really related to this yep. part of your story. That I think that's life. the You've been on my socials, so you know that's right. my model, like sharing pieces of yourself. And that's what my webinar was about last week. I did a webinar on, I called it You the Brand, because I wanted to explain to business owners that you naturally want to separate yourself from your business, but that's not how you get clients these days. Like people are online. 94% of people who are buying things, they're on their computer and on their cell phones. They're not looking through the yellow pages to find their attorneys, their accountants or anything. So if you're not sharing a piece of yourself, you're not going to get as many clients. And that's just the truth of it. You know, yeah, I'm also working on a book where I'm trying to share how my personal experiences shaped who I am as a business owner and how I operate in this space as a young entrepreneur, you know? So it's very important to share pieces of yourself and your story, 100%. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because then people, uh, it's the no like trust factor. They know you and like you and feel like they can trust you before they ever even met you, yes, which is exactly. wonderful. I want to talk about you and because you mentioned it a couple of times and I want to make sure that we get into it a little bit deeper is you now, in addition to having your law firm business where you're helping immigrants, you also mentor, you have a business where you're coaching and mentoring law students and also small business owners. So tell me a little bit about that. Is that kind of two separate things that you're doing or are they sort of They're merging into one now because it started off as just mentoring law students. It's honestly a free service I provide to young because they don't have no money. They don't have any money to give anyone. Okay, they're barely getting by. But when I was in law school, I talk about it very frequently that being a young black person going to law school can be very daunting. Less than 5% of all lawyers in the U.S. are Black. And that is reflected in the classroom. So I walked into my first classroom and only saw 
two other faces that look like mine out of a class of almost 80 students. And I immediately told myself, I do not belong here. Everything is telling me that I'm not supposed to be here. Right. And I kind of like told myself that all semester because I didn't have a lot of mentors. Right. I would talk to other students and stuff, but it wasn't until I spoke to the upperclassmen that I realized like this is an experience that you're going to feel not only in school, it's going to be in practice. This is something that remains. So you either are going to stand up and be proud of that seat that you are in or let it crush you. You know, so remembering that experience, my one year, I decided I'm not going to let anybody else who is in my vicinity feel what I felt. So I really went out and sought the students. My main mentee, as I call her, her name's Lungenia. She's a lovely, bright, brilliant young girl. And I saw her in the library and I saw her face and I was like, okay, hey kid, I'm Tremaine. Da, 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 da. And she was not interested at all. Like, who is this lady? I'm trying to study. But that's, I literally went after them when I was in school. So when I left school, I was like, how do I continue to do this for these students, but also open it up to students everywhere? Because now I have mentees in England. A lot of them are in Jamaica. There's lots of students, all because this is a universal experience for all of us. Even if you're not a Black student, because I don't only have Black students anymore. It's a really hard thing. You know, it really yeah. changes your DNA becoming a lawyer. I love the law school experience, but it's really daunting. So I opened it up to a lot more students by launching Legally Trim as this business. I made a little website, you know, made a little sign up sheet for the girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do my little consultations when I'm on my way from the office on the telephone, just talking to them, just talking to someone who can validate your experience and say, hey, maybe don't do that. Do this instead. Right. Or, OK, as my mother-in-law will say, I, I have a British mother-in-law. OK, you know, the Brits do not abide too much emotion. So she would be like, you get five minutes to feel bad for yourself. And then you got to get up and keep going. Right. So I right. that. like, of course, you will cry. I don't cry anymore a lot because I feel like law school stole all my tears. I always joke about that. So <laughs> I understand that. Right. You can cry, but you got to stop crying at some point. So it really took off. I'm very grateful that I was able to get an award from the Florida Bar for my pro bono services in that respect. So I don't know when I open my business. Now the questions change because now my mentees are watching me open a firm and they're like, OK, I want to do that, too. And I'm like, OK, well, this is horrible, girl. Well, let me walk you through what I did. And, you know, a lot of them ended up opening their own businesses. So a lot, I found I got a lot of questions where that was concerned as well. So I was like, okay, what if I just create something that teaches people how to do what I have been able to do? Because I always talk about how I didn't have to really start paying for marketing until my second year of having my law firm. I took full advantage of my social media presence and grew it to 40,000 people now across social media platforms that will refer me clients, hire me and all of that. So I gross like 200,000 every quarter from my social media. <laughs> like wow. I, just, I just did my first piece of like static branding by putting up a billboard in my local city, but I've done, been able to do a lot from my socials. And that's the thing I always feel like when you share with others, you're not taking away from yourself. You're not losing money. It can only make you more. I'm always so happy to share things. So that's where I'm going into now into just mentoring everyone. Like, hey, yeah. you want to be too great. Let me teach you how. Where do you think that comes from? That sort of drive to help others? Because um, you do it in your practice and you do it as a side hustle. I mean, like, it's really a part of who you it's are. It really sounds who like. I am, where do you honestly. think that comes from? A few things, a few things that my background's very interesting. I did not have the greatest relationship with my mother growing up. 
we had a very tumultuous relationship. And while that was happening, I felt like I didn't really have a voice in my house. But at the same time, my mom was a mom to everybody and she still is, you know what I mean? So I learned that from her. She's always lived a life of service. My father was in the Jamaica Defense Force, which is our military my whole life. So my whole family have been service people. But right. coming from that space also where I felt like I was bullied at home. And then I went to Catholic girls school in Jamaica. <laughs> okay. So I was bullied at school too. Like you. <laughs> I really think it comes from both of those things. Like I grew up watching my family serve. And then at school, I was also serving or being served right. a lot of bullying. Yeah. <laughs> so it comes from that. I just like standing up for little people. Right. Standing up for other people and helping them through the struggle because you've been through it and you know what it looks like on the other side of what it can look like. Absolutely. I feel like we've all been through something where if we just decided to share just a little bit of that, we can help so many people and so many of us don't even realize the platforms we have to do that. I quote my mother-in-law a lot because she's a teacher and teachers have the best things. And she's always telling me that someone's always watching. For whatever reason, people are watching and paying attention. So even if you don't think you're actively going out there to be an example to someone, if you have a social media page, there's someone watching and paying attention to something that you're doing. So I take that very seriously. Right, right, right. There's a lot of responsibility there. The expression that I heard is your mess is your message, but your mess is not your message until you've kind of gotten on the other side and Mm -hmm. processed it enough to where you're not in the middle of it. I think that's an important factor is you are a true success story in all the ways, right? Having grown this successful business and all that you put into it. I bet there were times that you probably thought I will never get through this and get to oh, where yeah. I'm, oh my goodness. Well, what was that like? I feel like enough entrepreneurs don't tell you about this part and I have no problem to listen. The imposter syndrome does not go away. Okay. I remember when I just opened because I operate out of a Regis because duh, I'm not buying any sweets right now. It's the future. Right. That? But my first office was like a matchbox. And I went in there and, you know, I was doing my little thing, typing up my letters for my clients and everything. And I just stopped for a second and realized that I had given up my six figure job to see <laughs> if people will hire me to do stuff. And I lost it. I felt the walls closing in. I called one of my friends and I was like, oh my God, what did I do? (laughs) And that happens every now and then, you know, and I have to, my yoga instructor taught me to sit on the floor when you feel that and elevate your legs. You should try it sometime, Davina. It's amazing. I need to do that for sure. Just lock your office door, put your legs up and just lay there and breathe for a second and then get up and get back to it. But it happens all the time. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no matter. No, I mean, I'm, I've been working for a long time. I've certainly had, I've had this coaching business for 10 years and uh, still some days I have to deliberately stop and remind myself that, wow, I've been in this business for 10 years Mm -hmm. and what an accomplishment that is. I'm a goal chaser, you know, my whole life, I'm a goal chaser. So I'm always looking for the next thing and what I want to do next and what's the next level and all of that. And so sometimes I just have to stop and I think, a lot of women are sort of guilty of that. Like we just, we're so high achieving women are always chasing that next achievement. And it's really great when you can sort of stop and sit in what you've accomplished and say, 
I've already had a tremendous impact. Yeah. No matter what your practice area is, if you're out there helping people or if you're, you know, if you've chosen to do something different with your law degree or whatever, we're always impacting people as we go through our lives. Yes. So it's thinking about like, what kind of impact do I want to have? I want to have a positive mm-hmm. impact. What does that look like? And we don't always get it right, but just like giving yourself some grace and taking a moment to sit and say, yeah, I did do those things. And that is impressive. And, you know, I'm not the little Catholic schoolgirl anymore. Somebody's exactly. going to push around, yeah. right? <laughs> so Part of what we were talking about last week in the webinar was how just starting a business or starting anything requires a certain level of audacity. Like you don't have any time for toxic humility, as I call it, where you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to shine too bright. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Toxic humility. There there is nothing more audacious than saying, I'm going to go out and make my own money. So for you to do that, you really have to be like, I'm kind of amazing. I really am. You do. (laughs) You do. You have to believe in yourself to be able to do that because it's risky. You're always taking risks. People think it gets, you know, oh, it gets easier, but your risks become bigger. Your decisions become bigger. You start hiring people. Now you're taking bigger risks. You're doing, I mean, there's always something you're putting yourself out there more, which means opens you up to more judgment. I once had a coach say to me, the people who can take the most judgment are the ones who have unlimited success. So the more judgment you can take, and she used the two people running for president at the time, which was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, yeah. regardless of what you think of them. And I don't think highly of one of them uh, in particular, <laughs> but they both are people who could take an enormous amount of judgment. Anybody who's running for office, that is often what limits our success when you talk about social media is we're so worried about people judging us yes. what we put out there. And you realize that if you just don't think about it, or you take it with a grain of salt, or you consider the source and say, you know, I don't really know this person is judging me and makes a comment on my social media. I don't really know all the stuff that's going on in their life to cause them to come and say such a hateful thing or to say something. And if you just kind of say, you know, it's none of my business, it would not be my choice to go out and be visible. I'm definitely an introvert. I'd rather be sitting there, like you said, locked in my little room. Yeah. But if you want success in business, you have to kind of overcome that. So all sorts of mental tricks. Yeah. What are some of your mental tricks do you think that have helped you to step out there so fully like you have? I'm a storyteller. So I'll take you back to when I was taking my, we call them CXCs in Jamaica. So high school in Jamaica is very rigorous. Okay, we are taking SAT level stuff at 15, all right? (laughs) And that determines whether you get into college and what jobs you'll get, depending on how many subjects you excel at. And when I was taking those examinations, I was living with a deacon from my church at the time. And she used to send me out every morning when I had an exam with a plantain and egg sandwich. You should try that if you haven't tried it before. And before I left... Yes. Before I left, she would have me recite this Bible verse every single morning. And the Bible verse is Philippians 4, verse 13. And it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's my mantra. I have it written on my whiteboard for all my cases. It's on my computer everywhere to remind myself that there is nothing that I cannot do if I have faith in myself and faith in God. And if you're not a Christian person, faith that the universe will bring you all of the good things if you just believe in yourself right? There's so much power in speaking life into what you are capable of. 
I recite that every day. I recited it before I started this podcast with you. Like it's just something <laughs> that that's my main tool. I also think that my defense mechanism is to just be as loud and bold as I can all the time. <laughs> but really, I really, I tell people all the time that I'm an extroverted introvert because after I do all of the things, I have like a thousand consultations today when I finish this and I will go home and sit in my underpants and my husband's t-shirt and watch SpongeBob for the rest of the day. And I don't want to talk to anyone, right? Okay. But while I'm doing what I'm doing, I have to create this persona for myself that I'm amazing and I'm going to be fabulous. It's going to be great. I did all the study, learned all the things. I can do this. So you just have to be yeah. your own leader in the back of your mind. Another thing that I teach my mentees as well is I think as women, especially, sometimes you don't really think about how you dress and carry yourself can really seep into how your day goes, to be honest with you. So I have a very fabulous mother, okay, always dressed to the nines. There is no person that can dress like Miss Donna when she's going to church. And that's how I carry myself. Every day I really curate my outfits. I love fashion. I feel like it's such a great way of expression, expressing yourself. And it's kind of like your fabulosity armor. You know what I mean? Like I love it. I I so agree with you. They have yeah. to go good because I look good, you know. <laughs> so those are my little tools. It I does, use. it does. It shores up your confidence when you feel like, you know, I look good. And it's an energy thing too. You're putting out yes. instead of matching the energy that may be in the room, you're coming yes. in and setting the energy exactly. that's in the room. So, so you when, when you are you're dressed well, you're confident, you've talked yourself up, you come into a room and people are naturally going to be gravitating toward you. To yes. hear what you have to say, it makes what you say have more gravitas and yes. feel more important, right? Because they're looking to go, this person has it all together, right? Exactly. Whatever you feel it when you're sitting at home and you're uh-huh. on the t-shirt, <laughs> don't worry about that. The definition of kind of introvert is that we get energy from alone time. And yes. I think there are a lot of introverted people who are still out there being charismatic and doing things, but you just have to have that time to recharge. Mm-hmm. Whereas truly extroverted people, they just cannot get They're on all the time exactly people, right uh-huh. <laughs> and i'm like my every now and then knows. i gotta be away from people <laughs> okay my staff knows like every two months or so because i have the blessing of being from one of the most beautiful places on earth and i love being jamaican and there's jamaica recharges me the second i step off the plane and the air is different my people are so warm the food is delicious and everything feels like a hug so I yeah. like going home for a couple of days just to sit and get away from everyone and everything. Right. And my office manager always, she's like, nope, she's got to go. It's time for her to leave. Let me look up the plane tickets. Get out of here. Go sit down somewhere <laughs> and relax yourself. You know, I'm really grateful that I don't have a team who thinks, oh my gosh, she's always on vacation or something like my staff and my husband. They understand that that's a time for me to go recharge because doing all that we do as attorneys is a lot. But being a humanitarian lawyer people's true life problems become your problems. And majority of my cases are survivors of domestic violence, people seeking asylum from horrible things in their countries, you know. And then there's just families that you want to help them and do your best to keep their families together. So I'm an empath. So I take all of that with me. So you have to find some way to shed all of it. And that's what I do. I have to go Um, sit (laughs) out. I love that. I love that. You know, I always say that with lawyers, no matter your practice area, what you do is so important because you're dealing either with somebody's financial well-being or their life or their liberty. Like it all is so impactful and can really 
set the trajectory in the course of their life from their time yep. they interact with you to the outcome of that. You know, people don't come to lawyers for fun. I mean, they're no. coming to the lawyers because no one likes have us. A, a, a serious be meeting. People don't like us. You see a lawyer because <laughs> you have a problem, you know? That's right. So. They love us after they work with us and they get to Correct. see what that <laughs> they get to see the power, you know, of that we can wield by our not with our knowledge and what right. we can do on their behalf. But that does, that secondary trauma does take its toll yeah. and you really have to have tools in place yeah. to deal with that. And for everybody, it's different. I, school, I learned, I didn't know about the rate of suicide and alcoholism and drug abuse. And now that I'm a practicing lawyer, I get it. You know what I mean? All we do is take on people's problems. So as a young lawyer, that's why I try so hard to already start creating the habits to offset that than, you know, falling into certain things. So I run to therapy whenever I can. (laughs) Let me go unload the problems on someone else Mm -hmm. or just go sit on the beach in Jamaica and eat a fried fish or drink some soup by a river somewhere and just sleep. You know, like it's important to find healthy tools to handle it. It's an expensive tool because it's not always cheap to jump on a plane and go home. But that's my thing, you know. That's your thing. That and your feet up on the couch in your office. Yes, definitely. (laughs) I love it. Tell me, I want to talk a little bit about your law firm's growth and success because you did grow it to six figures very quickly within a couple of years. And you did that through your social media presence. But let's talk a little bit more about that. Tell me a little bit more about you're sitting there having opened it. You opened your firm, called your friend going, what have I done And then what did you do next? Well, so I think what I learned the most that helped me the most in this practice is that I learned very early on that I'm going to need a lot of mentors. The second I got into school, because I was like, I have no experience with this. Nobody in my family has any experience with this. So I've been very lucky to be around truly incredible attorneys. You know what I mean? In my practice area, not in my practice area. So when it was time for me to open my firm, I remember there was this guy I was obsessed with when I was in school. I was like, this guy is awesome, man. And he's Jamaican. He's greatly dressed and he's talking about law and he's very celebratory of his accent. You know what I mean? And because we sound very Jamaican sound great. When I'm in court, I'm fully Jamaican because the judge is fully engaged (laughs) in whatever I'm saying in this gorgeous accent. So um, I love to listen to you. So (laughs) you have a beautiful voice. Thank you. So I message him on Instagram. I had no idea who this man was. I was like, hey, listen, man, I would really like for you to mentor me. So we would talk now and then, but I really didn't have anything to say to this busy man who's traveling the world, representing athletes and all kinds of people everywhere. So when I wanted to open the firm, I reached out to him again. And I was like, listen, I really feel like I'm the female version of you. And I need to learn how you did that. And again, I feel like it's an attorney thing. Like I do think that we are contentious when it needs to be. But I find this field to be so supportive of younger attorneys when it's time for us to go out and do things because he literally took time out of his day and he called me and I sat there with my notepad. My husband and I were driving to a a Trinidadian restaurant that night. I remember we're going to go eat curry and roti. And I sat in the car and I was just jotting down what he was telling me. He was like, you're going to need to do this. You're going to need to do that. And he kind of laid it out for me. And I was like, oof, okay, so I think I need to put it off a little bit because I don't have the month, the capital it's going to take to do what you're telling me. And he was like, no, I'll invest in you. He was like, I pay attention to you too. Like I said, someone's always watching. And he was like, I was wondering when you were going to step out on your own. So I feel like it's a great investment for me. And so he helped me get my practice off the ground in terms of packaging myself 
to present as, hey, I'm a law firm owner. You can come to me and trust me that I'm not going to waste your money. And then I had another mentor, Marlon Hill, who was like this giant, colorful ball of energy down here. And Marlon knows everyone. I call him a social butterfly. He literally knows everybody. And he's at everything. He goes to like five events a day while also being a law partner at Weisseroda, which is like a huge law firm. I don't know where he finds the time. Right. So I was like, the energy you have to stretch yourself to do all these things, teach me how to do that, man. So he was also super supportive. I remember he allowed me to, he was like, here's some books. You'll need these things. Right. <laughs> I talked to my professor in law school I, when I did the immigration clinic. He was very supportive. So I think I really leaned on my mentors to help me figure out what I was supposed to do. I didn't just jump right. into it and say, hey, I'm going to figure it out, because that's not the smartest way to go. Of course, you have to do your research. You have to do the groundwork. So I really hit the pavement before I opened. So when I did, and Marlon was also telling me as well, he was like, you got to tap into that social media presence you had, because I already had one, because I used it for law school. That was my way of complaining about law school. I was like, this is terrible. Why does no one tell you about this? Do you know how <laughs> Nobody. much you Nobody read? tells you. <laughs> do you know how much you have to read? So I'd share my experiences. And like I said, I had a really robust experience in law school. I ended up being the president of the Black Law Students Association, and I was an ambassador for the school. So I traveled the country recruiting students. So I had a really interesting platform now that I think about it. Like if you're interested in law, I want, this looks cool, man. She's having a blast while also crying sometimes. So <laughs> When I started practicing and I was working at the firm, I was like, hey, guys, I'm a lawyer now. Look, I'm winning cases. I'm going to court, doing my little thing. Here's this asylum case that I just won. I won the first case I ever tried in immigration court, which is hard because nobody. Yes. <laughs> so I would share those experiences. So he was like, you didn't even realize that you were already setting yourself yourself up for this. I said he was like, people are waiting for you to tell them, OK, this is yours. Open your own. You know, so right. I, they were very supportive. So when I launched it on social media, I went live on Instagram <laughs> after sharing a little video saying, hey, you know, I was supposed to be a lawyer. My superpower is, you know, listening to people and my immigration experience. And it was a really cool video that I, I ended up making with some really great creators down here. And so when I shared it and I went live, I remember sitting there going, nobody's going to come here. Nobody's going to join this live. What have I done? And so many people joined and I gave the phone number and then the phone started ringing when I was in the live. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this could really work. So I think that really validated it for me. So I leaned into that. I was like, this is an untapped resource for me. So let me tap into this. In the pandemic, TikTok really took off. And I was right. one of those anti-TikTok people at first. I was like, oh my God, another social media platform. Like Instagram knows everything about me already. I cannot be bothered. But now I was realizing that I have to be everywhere. Where are the people? That's where I have to be because I have to get the clients. The lights got to stay on, right? And I have to pay my bill. <laughs> so I have to figure right. it out. So I went on TikTok and at first it was like two people. I did a sponsored ad once and I realized what is out there on the internet that not everybody loves the immigrants. And that was a bit jarring for me. So I was like, wow. okay. Maybe I should pull back, but I was like, I feel like this is where it is. So I got a little intern because, of course, I, when you're just starting, I always warn people to scale slow. Do not start off with a bunch of people. If you can see how it goes and, you know, try to make as much as you can by yourself as a solo 
and then add the staffers until you realize yes. that it affects your work product and your clients. Then you scale and add more. So it was just me at first, the accountant, the lawyer, the paralegal, everything. And I added my little intern to answer the phone. She was 18 at the time. And now she's one of my office assistants. And she's, you know, Gen Z people, they think different than us. They, they do. They just get it. <laughs> so she was like, Tremaine, you don't do enough on your TikTok. She was like, people will gravitate to you as a person. She's like, You're per- you are hilarious. She was like, so you need to do more one-on-one stuff with them. Like, stop trying to be the serious lawyer on TikTok. She was like, that doesn't work on TikTok. And she was like, there's a huge Jamaican audience and Caribbean audience because we don't generally see ourselves in the legal profession. When you're looking for an immigration lawyer, nine times out of 10, they don't speak with your accent or speak your language. You know what I mean? So she was like, lean into that. I leaned into it. And within a month, I had my first thousand followers. So I went live. And when I went live, I would realize that people would just start asking questions. Jamaicans are very audacious. Like, oh, if this is a lawyer, I'm going to ask my question for free right here. No problem. <laughs> so I, I would answer one and two questions. And then I realized that because you can see when people are sharing stuff and following you in the live feed. And I was like, just for me answering questions for free like that, like that's crazy. So I realized after that first live, I gained like 200 followers just from that. And they were scheduling consultations with my office because they'd ask me how I can reach you. So I was like, that's my thing. I love sharing and I love helping. And I was like, answering one or two questions can really change how someone perceives the immigration sphere. Because in my community, the thing with my people is they don't think they need lawyers to, to do immigration. I can do it myself. It's like filing taxes on TurboTax. Like, it's not that simple. You just file it and see what happens. And I'm like, no, this is a federal legal case. You can get in real trouble for doing certain things. No, you can't right. hide information that is defrauding the federal government. Like, hey, this is serious stuff. Right. So I feel like I started explaining certain things to people, explaining why, you know, there's so much fraud and why there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of you who are not attorneys. They don't know what they're doing, but They're charging you thousands of dollars to do this and they have no clue what they're doing. And then after they mess it up, you come to a lawyer and pay more. That doesn't make sense. Talk to the attorney first that cut out the Right. Right. And it's going to be more economical in the long run if you do that. I feel like a light bulb went off on so many people's minds. So after that, I realized that every time I went live, I would gain hundreds of followers. All my, my consultation bookings went up completely. I would have like eight consults a day between two. I had to cut down how many days I was doing consultations. So between Tuesday and Thursday now on a busy month, I'll have eight consultations a day. You wow. know, so, yeah. And I charge for my consultations. Honey, law school was not free. Good. Okay. Good. I not no, that's the truth. The truth. No, man. <laughs> charge for your worth. And I was doing that. I would talk to my mentors like, what do you charge people for this? Like, I don't know what to charge people, you know, like, and they're like, yeah. No this you charge this and the same guy I told you I met on Instagram he's always checking in with me he's like I hope you're charging this for that and you're charging this because you are not the typical immigration lawyer that's fresh because I had the previous paralegal experience he's like no and you worked for the other side he was like to be honest he helped you see he helped you see the things that you weren't seeing that were your advantages that those unique advantages that you have over somebody else 
you said something about how the legal community can be so supportive. And I think it's trauma bonding. I think any of us who've been through law school are like, yes. oh, I know, or started your own firm or whatever. You're like, oh, I see you. I see okay, you. Okay, this right? is terrible. You know, I know. Right? Come here. It's trauma bonding. <laughs> I think people can be so dismissive of other generations. And I have two beautiful nephews who are Gen Zers. And I love that you got some of the best advice you got was from your Gen Z legal intern who became your assistant. 18 years old. (laughs) Yeah. And to listen to that and be open to that and not say, oh, you don't know because you don't know anything about what it means to work in the real world or whatever, you know, but to listen to that. And we never know where the good advice is going to come from, you know? Exactly. You always have to be willing to listen. Yeah, for sure. So I love you. I love that you shared that story about how you sort of, you didn't try to do it alone. Even though you had to do all the hard work for the education, Mm -hmm. all along the way, you always fostered those mentoring relationships and sought those out and asked for them and asked for people to give you advice. And all of that, had to have changed the way that you thought about certain things. 100%. Because we have our stories. We grow up with mental money stories or mental ideas in our head about things. And to get out and ask other people, often that can be the thing. That one thing can change the course of your life. Mm -hmm. If somebody says something to you that you're like, I never thought of it that way. And that also starts with you remembering that you should never be afraid to ask. Because I've gotten no's. I remember I was thinking of, you know, starting a family law practice because that inevitably ties itself into immigration. But I don't like doing stuff unless I have the background in it. Like we as attorneys, like it's not hard to start a new practice area. But we also know that what they tell you in the book is very different than what happens in practice. So I remember asking one of the attorneys I knew to coach me and he was like, no. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. That's fine. So you're not going to always get a yes, you know, but never be afraid to ask. As my mother-in-law always says, the worst thing people can say to you is no. And once you learn that, like, it's not going to kill you. A no is not going to kill you. Well, when you're in business for yourself, that is probably one of the hardest things because you're going to do consultations with people who are going to tell you no. Mm -hmm. And they're going to say to you, you're too expensive or Uh there's no way I'm, it's usually that there's no way I'm paying that or you're too, whatever. Mm -hmm. And just realizing that, again, it's not about you, it's about them. Like it's about, there's a whole lot of stuff in their life that you don't know about that leads them not to make that choice at this time. And that's okay too, right? Because we're not- I approach my consults thinking, you know what? Even if they don't hire me to do it, now they have the information. Right, Mm -hmm. so important, so important. And I think that's why it's important to charge too for your consultations because there's a little skin in the game. They're going to listen to what you have to say. And also, as you said, law school wasn't cheap and all that education costs money. Yeah. And you, people, <laughs> you know, you need to be compensated for that. They can go to law school if they want to do that. That's up to exactly. them. But, so tell us how we can find out more about you and can follow you on social media. What are your handles and all of that stuff? Where can we find oh. you? Of course. So my office telephone number is 954-315-3840. My website is www.hemmonslaw.com. If you want to find me on social media, I am legally trim everywhere. L-E-G-A-L-L-Y-T-R-E-M. But if you are a little more serious and only interested in my law firm, our law firm's Instagram is Hemmons Law. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, threads, everywhere. (laughs) So you can find me everywhere as legally trim. 
I follow you on Legally Trim. That's how I found you and started listening to you. One of the things that's been so fun for a wealthy woman lawyer, I have a personal account and I have wealthy woman lawyer. And on wealthy woman lawyer, we follow mainly other lawyers. Mm-hmm. And it really is so fun because I learned so much, even though like I am a lawyer, I've practiced in different practice areas, following and listening to other people's content. You know, I've never practiced in immigration and I'll listen to immigration lawyers talking about, I never knew that. I never thought about it. And for somebody who's a <laughs> curious learner, I yeah. love my wealthy woman lawyer feed because I do have mostly lawyers and I get to hear, learn all kinds of things. So yeah. it, it's definitely fun. And I followed your account. Of course, I also love your sense of style. I just had some photos done and I have this... <laughs> blue suit. You're going to see this photos come out soon. Yeah. It's just gorgeous blue pantsuit. And I saw you and you have one very similar to it. Those got, I'm like, oh, there's my colors right there. The beautiful suit I, she's got on when you're doing being your- a woman lawyer is so fun. We have so much opportunity to do so much with our clothes. So I love that. I can't wait to see those pictures. Yeah, they're coming. I've been putting a couple out. I haven't put any out on the on wealthy woman lawyer yet. I've turned them over to my social media manager and she was so happy to finally have some new photos to work with. She's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so tired of these photos. I'm like, I know, <laughs> but I hate doing the photo shoots. I have to really work myself up to go do them. Oh, you're gorgeous um, and you have that fabulous hair. You got to take more pictures, Davina. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, <laughs> I have a hairdresser who keeps my secrets. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I just want to make sure we get this out there. You also are always looking for opportunities to speak. You're kind yes. of growing your speaking engagement, your speaking business. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So if anybody's listening that might be looking for a good speaker, they may make that connection. So tell us a little bit about your interest in speaking and kind of what you want to do. Yeah. So again, I'm always super interested in sharing and helping other people grow and thrive. And again, sharing your story is so important. And so many people don't even recognize how they might identify with your story. So Any opportunity I get to go speak at a school or speak at an event, I'm always ready to go do it. My next speaking engagement is going to be in my country. I get to go speak at the law school there, and I'm super excited about that. So if you're looking for a motivational speaker, I know there's a bunch of people out there, but everyone has something unique to put in it. And I think the rawness of what I share and how I've been able to segue my story into so many different areas of my life and my career I think that I definitely have something to offer. I have something to say. As a young millennial, I have a different perspective on a lot of things. So I'm excited to see what opportunities come from that. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I hope people are listening and somebody says, I need a speaker and she's the exact person I need to talk to. (laughs) So I'm sure they will. I really appreciate you being here on the Wealth Familiar podcast. I reached out to you cold and invited you. And I'm so glad that you took me up on my invitation because as I said, I'm a fan. All right, Trim, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Davina. If you're ready to create more of what you truly desire in your business and your life, then you'll want to visit us at WealthyWomanLawyer.com to learn more about how we help our clients create wealth-generating law firms with ease.